Welcome to From What If to What Next. I'm your host and fellow traveller, Rob Hopkins. If this is your first time here, you are so, so welcome. And if it's not your first time, you're so, so welcome too. I recently had the huge honour to be on a webinar with the amazing US-based poet and performer Dominique Christina. At one point, reflecting on how her imagination had been enhanced by growing up in a household of writers and avid readers, she spoke in her beautiful poet's turn of phrase of growing up with folks that helped me realise how possible I am. I loved it. It's my heartfelt aspiration for this podcast that it also helps you to realise how possible you are. The lockdown prompted by the coronavirus pandemic has in many ways been traumatic, bewildering and isolating. It's been a time of precariousness such that we haven't seen for many, many years. At the same time, for many people, it was also a rare and in hindsight precious opportunity to stop and pause. Space is one of the vital ingredients of a healthy and active imagination, an ingredient of which so many of us have been starved for a long time. In those weeks, we saw an explosion of people taking online art classes, writing the novel they always wanted to write, making daft dance videos or dressing up as old masters paintings. At the same time, we also saw local councils due to COVID restrictions unable or unwilling to keep up their usual rigorous lawn mowing and weed spraying routines and our parks and verges and curbs began to bloom, literally. Lawns that were previously just generic grass exploded into 40 or 50 different species of grasses. Buttercups, daisies, a giddying diversity of flowers burst forth. And for once, people had the time to actually stop and notice them. In our world in which so many people have become distanced from nature, from plants, from wildlife, lockdown saw the emergence of an odd phenomenon. People in cities up and down the land started going out with a piece of chalk and a plant identification book and circling what are commonly considered weeds, writing their common name, their Latin name and the hashtag more than weeds. The idea spread fast. People started to learn and share the stories of these plants. Where did they come from? What's their history? What's their role in an ecosystem? What do they actually do when they're allowed to grow fully? What can we do with them? Lockdown has given us a small taste of what a future might look like in which our relationship to what we commonly think of as weeds is profoundly altered. All of which leads us to the question that we'll explore in this episode of From What If to What Next. What if we learned to love weeds? To help me exploring this, I'm joined by two of the people who have played the most active role in this movement, if that's what it is. Two people with the chalkiest fingers and the best-thumbed plant identification books I could find. Sophie Legill and Jane Perron. Sophie Legill is a freelance botanical consultant, writer, translator and nature tour leader. In 2019, she created the project More Than Weeds, which hopes to change people's perception of urban flora and inspire authorities to adopt biodiversity-friendly practices. Sophie's previously worked for the charity Plant Heritage, developing initiatives to conserve the diversity of garden plants in the UK. Having lived in Brussels and London, she became interested in urban greening issues, particularly in relation to planning. Using her background in ecology and horticulture, she's advocating for better landscaping choices in cities to create healthy streets and spaces for both humans and wildlife. And Jane Perron is a freelance journalist, presenter and producer of indoor gardening podcast On The Ledge. 
She's currently crowdfunding a book on houseplants called Legends of the Leaf. I'll put a link in the description of this podcast so that you can go there right now and support it. She loves growing houseplants inside and raising weird veg in her garden and walking in the countryside with her hound Wolfie. She has a background in news journalism, spending more than 20 years working in local newspapers, joining The Guardian as a reporter online, working her way up to an online news desk editor. In 2008, she became gardening editor at The Guardian, editing the garden pages of Weekend magazine, making the So Grow Repeat podcast with Alice Fowler and writing features, news stories and blog posts. In 2015, she won the Garden Media Guild Radio Broadcast Award category for So Grow Repeat. And in 2019, she won the Garden Com Podcast Talent Award for On The Ledge. Welcome both to From What If To What Next. Hello. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, wonderful to have you both here. And so I wanted to start by inviting you both to join me in the exercise we always start this podcast with. I'd like to invite you both to close your eyes and to imagine that thanks to our patented from what if to what next time machine, you are now travelling forward through time. The ten years you travel forward through are a time of profound social change, in which old institutions fell away and were replaced by new ones, in which change previously thought unimaginable became unstoppable, and the 2030 you emerge into is a world profoundly changed, profoundly transformed, one that is now more equal, more resilient, beautiful, diverse, delicious and delightful. It's a world in which we have all, from institutions to businesses, from individuals to governments, learned to love weeds. Our relationship to the natural world has changed profoundly. I'd love to invite you both to take us on a walk through the future of your imagining, a future where that has come to be. What does it look like and smell like and taste like and feel like? Take us on a walk uh, around that world. Sophie? Well, <laughs> this is a very interesting exercise. You know, I, I live in London and every every day I walk and I think, you know, what if, what could our streets look like? You know, if I close my eyes and, and, and you know, just imagine um, if, if we had biodiversity um, friendly policies, if, you know, we had a completely different relationship with nature. So imagining that, um, I, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd see myself walking in, in my local street in southeast London in 2030. And what I can see is few cars, um, you know, green pavements. Um, it doesn't look like like necessarily like a jungle. It still feels like a city. You know, you don't live in a city if if you don't enjoy that kind of environment. But it's it's green, obviously. It's full of flowers, but not not only. It's also um, I think full of positive green. So from trees to to shrubs, layers of, of greenery, and you feel like you're in in a real natural habitat. We always say that we feel di- kind of dissociated from from nature, and in 2030, in my ide- ideal streets, don't feel that. You don't feel the difference, um, you know, from from being in the countryside or being in a city. There are plants growing on on window boxes, plants growing on on bus stops, for example. You can imagine everything. There are all sorts of habitats. For example, you know, we we could transform our, our front gardens. We keep saying, you know, that they're, they're being concreted. And in 2030, I want all front gardens to have plants. It could be anything, you know, obviously my, my project and my focus is, is, is weeds, which, you know, is, is a bad term. It's, it's about flowers and, and plants in, in general. Also, you know, we, we, if, if you look at non-residential street, commercial street in 2030, I would like to see 
climbing plants growing on, on the facades. Um, this is one of the best, you know, um, thing for, for climate change, to fight climate change and also for wildlife. So why not, you know, in those streets have climbing plants growing all over, all over our, our buildings? If, if, you know, if I work in those streets in 2030, what I would expect to see is a lot more butterflies and, and insects in, in general. And also, you know, if we think about um, potentially in 2030 having less plane traffic, then you'd hear birdsong as well. You know, you'd, you'd have trees in, 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 um, in streets and you would be able to hear that birdsong and, and feel you're really, you know, part of nature. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Jane. Well, that's a really good summary, Sophie, and I love all of that. One of the things I particularly love is the idea that plants can take up residence on vertical spaces and also on on roof gardens. I'd love to see, you know, every as you say, every bus stop could have a, some kind of green roof on it. Every waste bin could have a mini green roof. You could have, there's all these amazing habitats which we're just not currently using, which could be put into use. I also wondered on a more sort of esoteric level whether the word weed would actually be still be part of our vocabulary or would we not just be referring to weeds as plants? I think the word weed has got so many associations that are negative and I wonder whether we'd sort of recalibrate our language to suit this new world. And I think the other thing that I would, would love to see is that people begin to appreciate the plants around them in a sense of they're walking down the street and everybody might be able to recognize a few more plants than they do now i don't know about you but i find that people generally don't have a great list of plants that they can identify probably dandelion and not much more than that but i would be hoping that people would be walking down the street and be able to go oh look a lovely display of uh pelletry of the wall or a lovely display of ivy leaf toad flax even if they hadn't uh, quite got to the latin name that they would increase their vocabulary about plants and be able to appreciate their benefits as food plants for butterfly larvae as pollen sources as seed sources and just as as Sophie explained just making the environment a richer one um I mean I'm sitting here in my home office which has got a green roof on it and it's just a lovely thing to look at and how wonderful it would be to be able to look out of your bedroom window in the morning and see a load of green roofs as well as plants on the pavement plants growing at every single level and that would be a really exciting uh, vision for 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 that uh, that date mm, wonderful Thank you both so much. Um, I wonder if we might start, Sophie, with you sharing the story of how More Than Weeds came to be and how it spread. What's what's the story? Well, More Than Weeds is um, inspired um, from a French project, which is called Sauvage de Marie, so White Plants of My Street. Um, that project in France was launched in 2011, but it really took on after 20, 2015, um, and specifically slightly later in 2017, because glyphosate, so the weed killer, which is you know mostly used on pavement to remove plants, and, is, and also in gardens by private gardeners, has been banned from all public spaces in France since 2017. So this, you know, kind of um, led to, to a change. Um, and many cities had actually a few years before that, you know, the decision was taken in 2015. So they had some time to think about, you know, the relationship with plants. And Jane, it was very interesting to hear you say, you know, about the word weed, because in France, the, the word in French, you know, for weeds is mauvaise herbe, so bad herbs. 
And there's been a shift when you read, you know, uh, publicities and even, you know, local authority. Now they talk more and more about herbifol, which is um, wild weeds or wild plants, um, you know, mad plants somehow. So I think there's, there's definitely been a shift in the perception. Obviously, I moved to the UK a couple of years ago. I thought, you know, we, we, the UK is a fantastic country for, you know, greening issues. And there's a lot of um, gardening, me- uh, you know, wildlife media, TV programs, you know, David Attenborough, things like that. But what we hear most of the time is, you know, we talk about countryside nature, we talk about the national parks, we talk about nature reserves, and we talk very, very little, um, you know, about nature next to people's homes. You know, more and more people are living cities, and there's actually very little about urban nature, um, you know, in, in general. So people have got potentially, you know, a lot of nature around them, and they, they're not, you know, made aware of it. Um, so when I created More Than Weeds last year, I was certainly not expecting, you know, that amount of, of publicity and, and the project to generate. I mean, I've been giving interviews in, in New Zealand and, and, you know, Spain and the US. So it's really, really, um, I think, struck a chord with, with people particularly as part, of, as part of the lockdown, I think. Um, so, you know, we, you were mentioning earlier the fact that plants started growing in, in streets. And it was amazing, you know, getting emails from people saying, for the first time, I'm actually realising that our streets could look different. And I think, you know, that what really struck me is the fact that people don't realise, uh, because we, we constantly remove it, people don't realise that potentially there is nature in, in our cities. And Jane, could you pick the story up from there? How did you pick up the idea or, or, or your, your version of it? In the early in the lockdown period, I picked up on various things that were happening on social media that I was witnessing to do with chalking plant names on the pavement. And Sophie was certainly one of the people that I picked up on. And I'd, I'd seen this a few weeks before and sort of felt a little bit shy about the idea of going around my neighbourhood uh, in Bedford and doing that. And then lockdown happened and I just kind of thought, oh, what, what's the worst that can happen? Get over yourself and just <laughs> do it. Because actually, it, you know, it, I think that it, I kind of, lockdown gave me permission in a way to do it it would have been a pretty cool thing to be arrested for right well yes i mean i have since got the permission of the uh of mayor dave our local, our local mayor i did write to him and say i'm doing this i hope that's okay and he said yes that's fine so um i can uh, if you know I'm, I'm sure the police have got much better things to do than arrest me but you're right chalking on the pavement is officially uh not a legal thing to do so I started out doing it, I, I was basically sharing childcare with my husband and I, so I was on childcare in the mornings. I don't call it homeschooling because really that really wasn't what it was, but I was going out with my son every morning and the dog and I just thought, well, this will be a fun thing for us to do on the walk. Found some chalk and just headed out and started doing what I always do, which is looking at plants that were growing out of cracks in the pavement which is something I've always loved to do and then just choosing things that I definitely 100% knew the idea of and just chalking that name and being a big fan of botanical latin I was also putting the botanical latin name on there as well (laughs) which was sometimes a bit of a challenge because I'm not very neat in the handwriting department so that was a bit of a struggle and I realized that some pavements are not designed for chalking on but um I (laughs) I started putting that sharing that on a Facebook group that I run, which is an abundance group for my area, which is giving people information about foraging in the area and also 
sharing homegrown produce. So I started sharing the pictures there and just talking a little bit about each plant and also on a local residence group. And people were surprisingly um, receptive to it and just found it fascinating and asked me questions and... I did have people saying, oh, we love when we're going out on our morning walks, looking out for your chalkings. It makes the walk a bit more interesting. So that really propelled me on to do more of it. And I was surprised by some of the things that I found growing out of the pavement. Everything from sort of tomato plants to chives to Oxford ragwort to the usual things you might find, like pelletry of the wall and ivy leaf toad flax and, and classic wall plants residents that you might expect to see but it really varied and it varied over the period of lockdown what was there um, things waxed and waned according to the weather and how much rain there was so I learned a lot my son learned a lot and um, <laughs> it was it was a very productive time it's a bit more difficult now in the autumn because the pavements are getting rained on more frequently. So things are rubbing off more quickly. And oftentimes there just isn't anywhere to chalk something. But it's it's been great fun and it's really sparked a lot of interest locally. So I've been really happy to be able to share that information with people. Mm. So as uh, as you both said, the word weed is a very loaded word. When, when I studied permaculture, we were taught that a weed was really just a plant in the wrong place. What does the word weed mean to you? And how would you say that our classifying such a wide range of plants with that negative word has affected our wider relationship with the natural world? Oh, that's a really good one. I think that weeds are often maligned because we think of them as things that are invading there's this kind of invading metaphor they're invading our gardens and they're taking over our very civilized flower beds that there's something that needs to be eradicated and sprayed out of existence and whenever i when i was a gardening editor at the guardian whenever we used to get questions for our columnist alice fowler about weeds it would never be somebody who kind of was sort of saying well okay i've got this weed I realise it's going to take me a long time, but what can I do to get rid of it? Everyone wanted a literal silver bullet cure for their weeds, that there was going to do something and they'd be gone forever, which kind of made me sad. Not least because so many weeds have many good qualities. I guess one of the qualities of weeds is that they're incredibly tenacious and adaptable. So they can cope with so many different conditions. I'm thinking here of fat hen chenopodium album which has a very very long history as a food plant and has been found on ancient sites the seeds were eaten and indeed now in the modern age uh, the the leaves of fat hen you'll sometimes see on the menu of a, a smart gastro pub as a spinach substitute so it still lives on as a as a plant that is both useful and classed as a weed but it's also a plant that is hugely adaptable so you can see it growing out of a gap in the pavement and it'll be an inch tall and it'll have seed on it but also equally so you might find it on a muck heap and it'll be six foot tall and have seed on it so they're just amazing plants that have these amazing powers of adaptability and dealing with different circumstances and so that's kind of why I love weeds and why I don't want to eradicate them completely from my garden I want to kind of introduce them and use them as much as I can so yeah I think there's a lot of negativity uh, but I think the more that people understand about weeds I hope the more they will appreciate their qualities 
Oh, well, I, I hope so too. Um, you know, something I've realised when establishing the, the website for More Than Weeds, I did a bit of research about the history of weeds. You know, I was interested in our relationship with weeds. You know, was it always like that? Um, and actually what I found out that it's a very subjective topic. So, for example, you know, as you, as you mentioned, you know, some plants which we consider as weeds now, we would consider them as, as weeds to be eliminated. But in the past, there were food plants or there were plants that people were growing for, you know, their pets, for example, you know, to feed birds. Um, and also it's very subjective. So it's subjective in time, but it's also very subjective in the location. A plant that may be a celebrated plant in Japan um, I'm talking here about bittercress, you know, heavy bittercress is, you know, a noxious weed, something to be, to be, you know, destroyed here. So I think our relationship is, is very, you know, it's very subjective. And, you know, if we could replace the word weed with, I, I don't know, I've, I've been thinking about a potential term, you know, to, to replace um, the word weed, which is difficult to, you know, to find. I think it's very, as you say, Jane, it's about making people realise that maybe, you know, that particular plant, they don't like the way it looks or they think it's annoying because it grows in their, you know, in their flower beds. But, you know, could they rethink that relationship? Could they move that particular plant in another in, in part of their garden? You know, could they leave it to, to grow and accept, you know, that maybe that plant doesn't look as they wish, but maybe it has a use? And I think, you know, this is really what I've been trying to do with More Than Weeds is making people think about you know without having to call automatically a plant a weed because you know a dandelion is a weed why is it a weed you know is it annoying you because of the aesthetics is it you know annoying you because it's taking space for your other plants and if not you know then why are, are you thinking of this plant as a weed it's it's rethinking this kind of automatic qualification of, of plants as, as as weeds i wonder if, if you both might have a story of how people have reacted to seeing your chalked plant identifications what impacts has it had how has it touched people sophie oh well it's it's really been really interesting you know when i started this project obviously the first thing i came across was the fact that you know contrary to france where you know chalking was was started um you know it, it's illegal here so I had to get permission from a council in London, which was Hackney. And it was very interesting because Hackney um, have trialed a glyphosate-free zone. So they, they, they did this pilot project to leave the plants in a particular area growing. So they've, you know, they've been leaving the plants growing on those pavements. And those pavements are really green, you know, that they're, they're what I would like to see in 2030. And so when I'm, I was, you know, doing a bit of chalking there and a local resident, you know, came out and, and, you know, asked what I was doing. And I was really expecting, you know, backlash or people saying, oh, you shouldn't be doing this. And, you know, it's, it's graffiti. Um, and the lady was absolutely lovely. She was, you know, she said, I've, I've got no, no knowledge whatsoever. But, you know, when, when I, I take my, my children to the school, which is at the end of the street, I can, you know, show them all the names and, and, you know, over several days, they were learning the names. And, and what really, really, um, you know, touched me is, is the fact she said, oh, I've been, you know, I, t I took them to a, another playground a, a, a couple of further streets away, and they recognized that particular plant. And, you know, that really touched me because I think this is exactly what the project is about, is about giving those plants, you know, a name and an existence. Um, and I've been getting, you know, emails, people saying, what should, you know, what, what should I um, get to start and what, what type of chalk should I get or, you know, things like that, which I really like, uh, because it's about, you know, sparking other initiatives in, in other parts of the country. And I think generating potentially something, you know, national as well. 
Jane, have you seen impacts and examples of how this has touched people? Definitely. I think um, I've had people saying, oh, I'm going to start this in, in my area, having having read about what I was doing. Uh, I mean, obviously, I'm really concentrated on an area around the, the, the part of Bedford that I live in based on my, my dog walks. So even other parts of the town, people are saying, well, I'm just going to start this up. I've also had a, a rather amusingly, I've had people sort of saying, oh, I've seen one of your chalkings in, in my street. Can you come and do some more, please? Or people saying, oh, can you come to this part of um, Bedford and identify, we've got these weeds and we're not sure what they are. Can you come and do a little bit of chalking round our way, which is lovely um, that people are so enthusiastic about it. And actually, once you get past that initial plant blindness people suddenly switch on uh, and i sort of say put their plant glasses on and suddenly they're able to see and appreciate plants that they just had no idea about so i love the story behind the ivy leaf toad flax sorry to keep going on about this plant it's just one of my favorites and <laughs> it's a really lovely plant because it really does grow in uh, cracks in in walls and 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 drapes down it's a really beautiful plant i love it i've actually grown the white form um, from seed to have in my garden and i did read in one foraging book that there is a dish or there was a dish at the ivy a very fancy london restaurant which has the flowers of the ivy lead to toad flax as a garnish and i dread to think what they're paying a forager to collect those but it just makes me laugh to think this plant that's really not very visible to most people is um is on the menu at the ivy um <laughs> so yeah there's there's i think once people eyes eyes are open it's amazing how quickly they want to absorb that knowledge and get on board with the whole thing in my emails with the mayor he did say that they were going to review their their spraying policy for the coming year to have a look at whether they can reduce that and hopefully allow a few more of those street plants to thrive on this podcast we love to explore the links between all the different aspects of a healthy just post-carbon future how economics intertwine with physical health and mental health and education and so on i wonder in that future in a different more well-being focused economy what you would see as being the role of allowing more space for weeds or wild plants, as maybe we'll now call them, how would it benefit society more widely, whether in obvious or in more subtle ways? Uh, Jane? Oh, that's a really good one. I think that if we all were able to identify more plants and recognise their worth, not in terms of monetary worth, but in terms of their, their role in the ecosystem, I think it would open up a wider understanding more generally of the way that the whole environment is enmeshed together and the fact that you have certain plants growing in your lawn allows certain birds, insects to thrive. And therefore, you may not be very interested in that little bugle growing in a patch of your lawn but actually you might love the pollinators that come and visit it when it's flowering and you might not particularly love the dandelion but you might love the the birds that come and feed on its seeds so i think that's it gives you a, a wider appreciation of how everything fits together in nature and the importance of those tiny things in order to make the the, the sort of the headline uh, nature that we all know and love survive in terms of things like hedgehogs and owls and so on and so i think that that is a very important role that that making weeds a bit more of a friendly thing can bring fabulous um sophie 
when I've, you know, it's it's a question I've asked myself, you know, and I've been, I've been trying to study and I've been trying to list, you know, the various, um, you know, benefits that those plants could, could bring us. And interestingly, there's actually very, very little, you know, research on, on the topic. And as I was mentioning, all the research tend to be, you know, disproportionately focused on, on the countryside and plants in, in the world, but very little about, you know, the white plant and white flowers growing in urban environments. And so some of the effects I found, you know, are things like, um, obviously, you've got the direct benefits, more insects. Um, and actually, you know, what the Hackney area, uh, where I was doing the chalking, uh, I, I met a local resident who said, you know, I've, I've seen a lot more butterflies, you know, in, in the area and moth at night, um, you know, that previously. It's, you know, there, there's no scientific, proper scientific evidence, but potentially, you know, if we were to do some studies, then we would find things. Um, but there are also effects, you know, that we don't suspect, things like pollution. A very, very um, simple plant like uh, plantain, so ribwort plantain, which is a very common, you know, weed in gardens, parks, um, is actually very efficient to remove some pollutants from the air. Um, so, you know, potentially by letting those plants grow along our streets, we could improve the air quality in, in our cities. And maybe they do it already, it's just that we don't know about it. So I think those direct effects are, are very interesting and, you know, they're not necessarily well known. You've got things like flooding as well. You know, potentially those plants can absorb water and, and you know, decrease the impact of, of flooding in our cities, which, you know, in turn has an impact on, on our lives. But I was also looking, looking at, you know, some of the indirect effects. When you think about urban planning and thinking about our cities in, in general, you've got the fact that, for example, you know, if our tree pits were allowed to go green, in mature trees particularly, if, if we had like a green cover at, at the, the bottom of, of trees, then potentially this could increase the resistance of trees to drought in summer or to insects, you know, attacks and fungi attacks. Um, and also those plants can be a reservoir of beneficial insects. If we could let those white plants uh, grow in a particular area, then we could have insects to fight you know, other negative insects. So for example, you know, some are really good to, for beetles. And those beetles can be predators of aphids, which are a huge problems for flowers or even for, um, for vegetable growers. So I think, you know, we don't necessarily understand all the interaction between plants and plants and insects. And hopefully in, in the future, you know, this will be, this will be better, better understood, I think. When we lose our connection to the world of wild plants and, and when we lose them from our everyday lives or even when those we do encounter we can't identify, what does that do to us? What, what do you think it does to our imaginations, to our ability to see things as if they could be otherwise? Do you see any connections between the imagination and a more weed-filled world, Sophie? That's a very interesting question. Um, I've been looking into, into this, you know, the more kind of conceptual word of weeds. Um, and when you look at this, you actually find out, you know, that artists, for example, um, have been using weeds for a long time, uh, not necessarily naming them. I think it's, it would be, you know, it would be a mistake to just think that we can only see plants through a scientific lens and, you know, getting people involved through um, naming. And I think it's one of the, 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 you know, one way to get people involved. But I would also like people to see weeds and white plants in, in, and plants in general, you know, it, any kind of plant as, you know, part of a, a wider environment and something that they are part of. Certainly, when I looked at the messages I received after launching that project, 
for example, you know, some people were saying, you know, for the first time, I'm actually noticing the change of seasons. You know, I live in a very urban environment and I've been looking at this plant, you know, I'm queuing in front of a shop and I've been looking at this plant for weeks now. So I can see it, you know, growing and then the flower buds and the buds opening and then it's gone to seed. By losing our connection to, to plants, we also lose our connection more generally with the natural environment. And, you know, when you look at some streets in, I mean, I, I live in London, in particular, you know, urban environments, when you look at some streets where there's actually, you know, no green whatsoever, you kind of feel, you know, what, what is your connection to, to the world? And how does that have an impact on, on, on you know, on, um, on your mental health? I mean, it's, it's been well studied that trees and green spaces in general have an impact. So why, you know, why are we not doing <laughs> anything to increase that connection and, and bring that connection back in people's lives mm-hmm. thank you uh jane well it's i've got just looking over at my bookshelf and i have a book called vicary's folk flora and it's a very fat volume and it is a wonderful account of all the different stories and names given to plants that grow wild uh, throughout the uk and reading that it really is does make you realize the important role that different plants have played in our national vocabulary and consciousness and fascinating stories around each plant and I think it's a really real shame if we lose that even even to a a sort of a more local geographical uh, element where different plants have got different names in different parts of the country and that's really fascinating to follow and I like to think that it's still going on and in our 2030 vision that that would still that would be revived and that we'd all be having different local names for these plants and different stories and tales around them which really add to our vocabulary and our understanding. And, you know, this has been going on since, well, Shakespeare and before. Plants have been referenced in, in literature forever um, and have different meanings to different people. That's a really rich tapestry of, of knowledge and culture that we, we can tap into if we want to. Um, and I, I would hate to think of that being completely lost. When I'm out walking talking about different plants to my son and my daughter. They might not always listen, but they're, they're quite tolerant of me banging on about plants. And it's amazing how much of it sticks. You know, you'll think none of it's going in and then my son will say, oh, look at that monkey puzzle tree or something. He'll, he'll pick up on something he's been told at some point and be able to reference it. And so it's, a, it's, it's something that needs to be passed down from generation to generation. But of course, if you don't have the knowledge, and indeed if you're scared of, of, of plants on the street, and as many parents are worried about their children getting their hands dirty, that you may find that that is lost. I did a, I did a seed ball work, workshop at a museum a couple of years ago, and I was really amazed by the number of parents who really were not happy for their children to get their hands dirty. And I almost had to kind of send the parents to the sides of the room and said, say, this is okay, they're going to get their hands dirty, but you can wash them afterwards, it's okay. And the child, some of the children were looking to their parents for reassurance because they just weren't used to having mucky, earth-covered hands. And that made me a little bit sad because I kind of thought that's what all children should be doing, getting their hands into the ground and becoming aware of what's, what's growing in it. So I hope that we don't lose that connection over time. So uh, if people are listening to this and have been inspired by our conversation and would like to get involved and connect more to the natural world uh, immediately around them, what one thing might you suggest that they do? 
Well, it's it's an interesting you know question because there's no you know there's not one thing um, necessarily to do. I think you know some people from, from the, the feedback I've had from the project, you know, some people really want to to take the approach of you know going out with a with a with a book and and you know going with the chalk and naming their plants. Some people want to um, you know um, lobby with their council to stop glyphosate use. Um, other people just want to go on the street and and draw them. Um, so I think, you know, obviously it depends where you live, if you live in a, in a rural or more an urban environment. Um, but in, in general, I would say, you know, if you have a garden, for example, you know, try to, to be um, more weed friendly and try to, you know, think about your practices and what you're doing and the impact that this, you know, potentially has on, on the local eco ecosystem. If you live in an urban environment, then potentially try to get to know your plants better. Have a look at them. You know, you'll be amazed how many people just don't look. And just the fact of chalking, and Jane will probably confirm this, but, you know, people have said just the fact of putting a name, even if people don't remember it, they notice their local environment. They're, they're forced, you know, to, to have a look at it. Um, and it's, I think it's a really interesting point about children as well. You know, children, you leave them in, in the street with lots of plants. They'll be excited, you know, there'll be flowers, there'll be bugs. But uh, uh, an, an adult will say, oh, this is really dirty. The fact that their relationship with plants, particularly in, in cities, has been damaged is, is, is a shame. So hopefully, you know, if we, if we can get people to just have a look at them, appreciate them, get to know them, then hopefully we can change things for the better and especially, you know, um, encourage our children to have a different relationship. Great. Thank you. Jane, any last thoughts? Any advice for our listeners? My metaphor for all this is, is sticking your plant glasses on, you know, literally just get down at ground level and have a look at some plants. And even if you don't know what they are, you'll soon start to notice a plant you might see one plant and then you're walking around and you keep seeing it over and over again and that might spike your interest into getting a book or there's loads of apps you can use now there's wonderful facebook groups and websites you can use to identify plants the resources are out there you just need to stick your plant glasses on and and get down there and you'll be amazed what you learn and the stories behind these plants um, are so fascinating that you can't help but be drawn in Wonderful. Well, thank you both so, so much for joining me uh, here today. It's been, it's been beautiful to hear your reflections on our, on our what-if question today. Thank you. Thank you. So thank you again. And, and I'm off out now with a piece of chalk and a plant ID book to go and exercise my imagination. And I would invite everyone listening to do the same. See you in the street. My thanks to everyone for listening, to Ben Adicott for theme music and production, and to everyone who subscribes at patreon.com slash from what if to what next, who enables me to do this. See you all next time.